right, so we'll just start. So I am here with Michael Trout um, in his office, and we are going to be talking about the Jonathan Letters. Um, but first, um, before we start talking about that book, I wanted to ask a little bit about your background. Um, if you could could share some of that with us. I know you went to school in Michigan. and You want me to focus on the things related to the Jonathan Letters, or just my whole... Just your whole background. Oh, I just, I kind of stumbled into the field, really. I, uh -huh. I worked at a huge old state mental hospital for some years first. Um, and uh, was headed off to graduate school at about the same time that Selma Freiburg was starting to think about uh, training some people in these strange new ideas. Mm -hmm. There weren't classes yet, but um, a woman in the Department of Mental Health in Michigan, where I was headed at the time, talked her into accepting six uh, clinicians from mental health centers around Michigan to train. And I just happened to be there at the right time, and while I knew absolutely nothing about babies or anything else, mm -hmm. uh, and as far as I knew, didn't much care, um, I thought it sounded interesting. And within the first couple of classes, I was absolutely enraptured. So I, I completed the training there, and um, in the years since, uh, many other people have been trained there, and they opened up uh, programs and they graduate school at Michigan in both in psychiatry and in social work. Mm -hmm. But um, I stayed at the Mental Health Center then for a number of years and began an infant mental health program, uh, which I then transferred into private practice in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And then in the 80s, moved that private practice here to Urbana, Illinois. I've been mm -hmm. here ever since. Okay, great. Good. Didn't intend particularly to uh, specialize in foster care and adoption. But of course, any time one is, gets interested in attachment and how things fall apart and how things are, are, are healed, mm -hmm. um, then of course, pretty soon you're spending a lot of time with foster families right. and adoptive families. Right, yes. So I wanted to talk with you about your book, The Jonathan Letters. Uh, could you first tell me how that book came about? Uh, again, serendipity. It's starting to sound as if my life is nothing but <laughs> serendipity. Um, my cousin is a school teacher out east, and in her classroom was a very disabled little boy. And uh, she, because she is a trout and she is who she is, she became very uh, closely attached to that boy and to the family who uh, appreciated her so dearly. While getting to know them, she discovered that they um, were temporarily taking in this child, whose name is not Jonathan, but that's what we later decided mm -hmm. to call him, who was pretty much tearing them to ribbons. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I have this cousin in the Midwest. I need to put you in touch with him. And so that began then a, a relationship, at first only of emails, uh, and at first only one or two. I didn't agree to treat this child or treat the family. I thought that would be absurd. We didn't have models for how to support families very well, long distance in those days. Uh, but I agreed to answer some questions about this child they were thinking of taking in, and um, did that, and we became, we became very, um, I wouldn't say close, because we didn't even know each other. I only had imagination about who these parents were from the mom's description. But uh, I, I really came to respect what they were doing and honor how hard they were trying the dad, for example, was described as a 
kind of a hard guy, military, ex-military, who rolled around on the floor with this obnoxious, difficult, screaming, spitting kid. And I thought, boy, that's like, I need to know that guy. Mm -hmm. And this mom just would not stop. She just would not give up. She would not lie down. Um, everything I suggested, she tried and then tried again. She never ran out of energy. And I thought, I don't know who these, a person like this is either. I've never run anybody quite like this. And so that encouraged me to keep writing. Anyway, after a year, we discovered we'd written hundreds of emails back and forth, some in the middle of the night. She would write them in the middle of the night because she was up then because mm -hmm. foster parents don't sleep. Right. And um, I would answer them the next day. But, but answer them really wasn't the right word either because I wasn't giving advice. I, we were just talking. Mm -hmm. Just talking about what it's like when mm -hmm. your child seems to hate you and need you uh, all at the same time, when you seem to be the worst enemy that child has ever had and the only hope that the child has had either. Mm -hmm. And so we just we just talked about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't remember when we even first met, but at some point along the way, one of us said, and I truly don't remember which one of us it was, one of us said, boy, did you save all those emails? And I had. And um, she said, well, we should look at them, because I bet they're interesting. So we began looking at them, and one of us again said, boy, I wonder if we've got something here that would be of interest to other foster families. Yes. She was starting to get involved in support work with other families in Virginia at that uh -huh. time. Anyway. Long story short, somewhere along the way, somebody said, maybe we should publish these things and just let other people sort of look over our shoulder as if they were part of the process. Yes. Not as a book about how to uh, deal with trauma or how to deal with a difficult foster child, how to, how to stumble into adoption when you didn't mean to. We didn't mean it to be any of those things, just sort of should we publish them and let people sort of look over the shoulder and listen in? Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what the Jonathan Letters did. Oh, that's wonderful. Such an unconventional way to write a book. Yeah. That I was cool. kind of wondering, how did you get to the point, and you described it somewhat, of thinking, maybe we should do something mm -hmm. with these. So, And so then, after that, um, did, did you put them in any <coughs> particular order for the book, or they just kind of were the way they went back and forth between the correspondence that the two of you had? Well, we, we structured it as correspondence, and so it, it mm -hmm. was back and forth. Yes. And we let it be sequential, so they could unfold as it did. Uh-huh. Um, there were moments when other things were going on in our lives, even, that we allowed to creep into the book. I think I had a, a heart surgery or a stroke or something in the middle of all this, and that crept into the book, and they had things going on in their lives with their other children. and So it sort of just unfolded as it unfolded at, in real time. Uh-huh. We had to edit huge amount out, of course, mm -hmm. um, just for length. I mean, the letters that are in there are just a fraction of the total, total Really? I never knew that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it so been, there was much more. It would have been a very thick and probably difficult to wade through book had we... And what was everything. the time period? About how long? Uh, I think we ended up including about two years worth. Seems like that's right. Okay, yeah. good. And... 
Was there anything in particular you feel like you learned from Lori and and being a mother of a child like this and hearing? I, I just remember reading so many things in the book. She's just such a good way of expressing what's going on internally and how she's feeling about this child. Was there anything that you yourself really learned from the process of like hearing her inner thoughts? Uh, I think more more than learning specific things, it was more uh, an experience of witnessing somebody putting things into action that anybody could have said would be good, like stamina would be good. Yeah. Stamina would be better than not stamina. <laughs> right. Uh, insight would be better than not insight. Okay. But when you watch that stuff happen, when you watch somebody have way more, not more energy, because there's nothing about Lori, Lori that's exceptional in, in the sense that she's not a marathon runner or some person who has endless, boundless energy, and yet she does. Mm -hmm. She did for other children, and she did for for Jonathan. She has tenacity. Tenacity. She wouldn't be beaten down. Almost a in-your-face, <laughs> bring-on-your-give-it-your-best-shot <laughs> sort of a tenacity. <laughs> the dad, I kept thinking, he's this guy's going to wear out. He's going to wonder, where did my wife go? Because, you know, when you have a child like this, all the energy goes in one direction. Right. And he's going to wonder, where did peace go? Um, and he's going to wonder, hey, I'm in charge of this house. N isn't anybody catching on? Because <laughs> I don't seem to be in charge, but I'm used to being in charge. <laughs> Just being able to witness people working through all those things was a huge learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Only at the end, when we were starting to write, the, I think, the introduction or the foreword to the book, that I even asked the questions, um, what are the key things? What, what should we tell people is most essential about being the parents of a child like this. That was going to be my next question, yeah. so I can't wait to hear what you. Well, we we had to pull it, but we had to pull it backwards. It's not as if we started with those principles, and it certainly isn't as if I had six points to make with them over these years we worked together and, and ran them home. No, it was just that I watched what they did, and then later we looked back and we said, "How did that happen exactly? Why did you not give up here?" Or what, what do you think were the elements that were invisible? For example, she, she declared clearly that her faith was a, a big part of what held her together. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any compunction whatsoever about saying that out loud. If that's, the, if that's the stuff that keeps you moving when you'd rather give up, then, then we're going to talk about that. Uh, support of other families, uh, they talked about. In fact, I think it was Laurie who said we really need to emphasize that if you if you think you're a person who does best alone, or if you think you're going to enter this enterprise alone and stay alone, you're sunk. We need to not pull any punches about that. She said I couldn't have done it without all the support I've had from my church, but but also from the other kids in the family and from friends. And we need to emphasize those things. Okay, so um, I wanted to uh, also ask um, where people can get this book. I really recommend it a lot to different people I talk to and wasn't sure if going to your website or to Amazon or what is the best way to get it. Both are available. Actually, I haven't checked Amazon in quite a while. I don't know how many. I don't think that, that, that I think
think most people must be coming to my website. Okay. I think most okay. are happening there. All right. I should say, and to you better than anyone I can think of, that my retirement has meant I need to rethink that a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, that and other books and films. Mm -hmm. um, the time will come when I'll need to hand that off to somebody. Mm -hmm. to, so, but for now. For now. On the website. For now. So that would be the Infant Parent Institute. Infant-Parent. Okay. And all of your resources would be there. This book as well as your videos and, yes. and other things that you've um, developed. So, well, thank you very much for speaking with me about the book. You're it's, welcome. It's been a pleasure to hear a little bit of the backstory about the book. So thank you. All right.